And uh, Israel had long since, over a hundred years, been in captivity. And uh, now we see that God is getting ready to judge Judah, the people of Israel now, collectively, just that title. And we can, we continue now in verse 9. Um, let's, in fact, let's just walk through it here. We're going to look at three things, four things tonight from this text. Uh, first of all is an initial uh, challenge where, Wherefore I will plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. And then beginning in verse 10, uh, t- verse 10, we, he's, get, he's getting their attention. He says, uh, For pass over the isles of Chittim and see, send unto Keter and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. He's about ready to talk about their situation. And he's challenging them to look literally the ideas far and wide to see if they've ever seen or can see anything like what's going on in the people of Judah right then and there. And here's the... So first we see verse 10, he's getting their attention. Verse 11, he presents the allegation. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. So he lays the allegation. And then verse 12, he's challenging them to respond with their emotions. He wants He's tr- not just trying to get their attention, but he wants them to understand how serious this is. And so he's literally challenged them, verse 12, Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be, be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. This is serious stuff that he's talking about. This challenge, this charge against Judah is something that they need to, again, wake up and see it. And then, and then verse 13 is the accusation. My people have committed two evils. Now we've already brought these out. What they've done wrong, what their transgression was, what he is going to judge them for. And now he words it this way. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That's the first evil. The second evil is they viewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What's he mean by that? Well, let's jump in. Tonight's message is living waters and broken cisterns. Let's just jump right in. And again, look at verse 9. He's getting their attention. He says, Wherefore, uh, I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord. So this is a, a challenge to the people of Israel, the people of Judah specifically. And with your children's children will I plead. Verse 10, For pass over the isle of Chittim. What is that? That, that is, is another word for Cyprus. And from where Jeremiah is speaking in Palestine, this would be the farthest west of the farthest country west of the known world then. And he's saying, pass over the Isles of Chittim. Go as far as you can that way. And, then, and see. And send unto Keter. Now that's the, from where they are, that's the farthest place east. He's saying, you know, go that way, go, go far west, far as you can west, as far as you can east, and consider diligently and see if there be such a thing. He's, again, getting their attention. And, and he's, he's already, Jeremiah and God is already astounded because what has happened has not been seen before. And, and it's not going on anywhere where a people, a covenant people, 
the, the precious people that have entered into a special relationship with God, Israel have forsaken their covenant. And this is so big. This is, he's not just laying out the charge and saying, you, for, you forgot, you've forsaken me. I mean, he's already laid that out already, up even to the point where we're at now. But he wants them to realize the seriousness of this situation. And in a sense, he's saying, this has not been seen before. This is a, this is, this, you know, I want to grab your attention because this is so serious. You will not find this, what's going on in Israel, what's going on in Judah right now. You're not going to find it anywhere else. And so he's trying to get their attention. I remember uh, when I was first considering the claims of the gospel, it was at a health spa, as you know, uh, attending high school my junior year. uh, We were invited to a local spa. And we went for the workout, and of course, you know that uh, it was a trap. <laughs> we we were, went for the workout, and then we were invited and kind of pressured to sit through a Bible study. And uh, as as we did that week after week, initially, you know, me and my friends, when we found, first got word that we could go to a health spa once a week and work out for free, we jumped on it. It seemed too good to be true. And as the weeks bore on and we realized, okay, yes, there is a free workout, but there's also this obligation that we kind of have to sit through this Bible study. One by one, by one my friends drop like flies, you know. Uh, and as they were dropping like flies, writing off this, you know, Bible thumper, weird religious fanatic, I was beginning to grasp the seriousness of what he was saying. And at first, I responded just like they did. You know, I just responded, okay, this is religious stuff. This guy, you know, this, first of all, this is the same stuff I hear growing up every Sunday. Jesus died for the sins of the world. But when I began to realize the implications of what was being presented in the gospel about the need to be born again, about the need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This wasn't religion here. This was having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the stakes, in my mind, became higher and higher as I became more and more shocked at the realization of the implications of the gospel. It took a while. And, and some of you may remember when you, I don't know if any, if you remember when you first heard the gospel or maybe the first few times you heard the gospel. You know, it's kind of like things are foggy. You know, the, our, our eyes were blinded, the, you know, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. And then slowly the clouds begin to go away as you begin to... And that's what happened in my mind. And as it became clearer and clearer, it became more and more shocking. Because, and, and yea, offensive. Now some people will go up to people in the street and say, you're going to hell, or with the big placards, you know. But the best thing is when God uses the scriptures to open your mind to to make you realize that you are on your way to hell. And when I realized, wait a minute, this guy's saying that if a person's not born again, he's not going to heaven. And he's claiming that being born again is this, this, and this. Wait a minute, this isn't what I hear all the time. This is not just religion. 
as that began to crystallize in my mind, I became more and more horrified. And God got my attention. Whereas some of the other, my friends that were going and dropped off, they, they didn't see that. And I marveled. Because as I began to see the implications, I'm looking around at them and saying, do you realize what he's saying? This is stuff you can't just, you can't just snuff it off. You can't just say, oh, he's a religious fanatic. You at least got to prove him wrong. Think about what he's implying. But, you know, to someone that's not saved, that has no interest in spiritual things, they're not going through the same things that you and I went through. And I assume if you're born again, you went through those things. It's amazing how the world will be drawn to things that they view as having value. Um, you know, I, I marvel at what we've come to know as the Ponzi scheme, uh, Bernie Madoff. You know, Bernie Madoff was the, our modern day Charles Ponzi. He was like the 1920s. But I read a story about a guy named um, uh, Whitaker Wright late 1800s who uh, he was he lived in England came to America made made loads of money and then lost it all went back to England and he was the kind of guy that lived large and he wanted everyone to know that he lived large and he had a scheme where he got people to invest in um, in in Mining, uh, mi- mining companies that were shams. And he would get people to give him his money, and then he would invest that money. He, uh, he, in- he built this place over in Surrey, England, that was like a ballroom that was underwater. And he just spent, he spent all this money of people that invested in a mining company to make it look opulent and then you know he would charge money for people to come into this underwater you know uh, ballroom and and he made money initially <laughs> and as any of those things are that are built upon a, a you know a, a shifting sand it began to fall apart it began to be revealed what the scheme was uh, and he went, he was arrested and uh, convicted now this guy even though he, he fraud, defrauded a lot of people his punishment was seven years in prison. But he didn't want that. And so he had uh, secretly concealed on the, on the day they were going to give the verdict uh, a cyanide pill. And after he got the verdict, he decided that he was going to have the last word and he took his own life. You know, what a sad thing. And, and what I think is sad is the people that were drawn to that, the people that were drawn to Bernie Madoff, the people that were drawn to, you know, this idea of get rich quick, is still here today. You know, people get enticed by this thing that offers them everything. And I submit to you folks that what you and I have in our relationship with God is is far better than anything the world has to offer. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? But when you think about it, folks, when we gain our soul, we gain everything good that God intends. Better than this world, the world to come with blessings abounding. What an amazing, amazing thing. So the Lord says, I will yet 
plead with you. He says, consider diligently and see if there be such a thing as what's going on right now with you people, he's saying. And then in verse 11, half a nation changed their gods. Remember, he's saying, check, look as far as you can to the east, Cyprus, the west. Look as far as you can here to the east, Keter. And he says, can you find a nation that has changed their gods, which are yet no gods? And the implication is, you haven't seen it. But my people have changed their glory. Now that's an interesting phrase, which don't let that throw you. Uh, the idea is, when you, when you look at this, and it's, it's a hard Hebrew phrase that refers to God. When, when you know, God was their glory. And in fact, Psalm 106 and verse 19 uses a similar phrase. Uh, Psalm 106, 19 through 20. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. And to keep the context, verse 21 says, they forgot, their, they forgot or forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt. And by the way, this is the accusation that is being charged by Jeremiah, uh, is that they changed... Their glory, the glory they had with God, they changed God, they forgot God, and they changed it in the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. And so now Jeremiah is going back to the same challenge, and he's saying, these are people that forgot their God, uh, they've changed their God, the true God, into gods which are not. My people have changed their glory, that's Jehovah, for that which profiteth not. And I go back to verse, remember verse 5 previously in the last few weeks. Verse 5 says, Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far, gone far from me, and have walked after vanity and are become vain. That's a very similar statement to what he is saying here in verse 11. They have, My people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. They have walked after vanity and they've become vain. You remember we looked at the idea, they, pers- they were pursuing empty phantoms and themselves became empty. And that's what happens, folks, when you walk away from God. The noun in, in verse 5 about becoming vain is the Hebrew noun. I mentioned this last week. For vanity or delusion. And this is now what is being charged to the people of Israel. They have left the true God for the gods of the Canaanites who were vain. Baal, very word, empty, nothing, phantom. And that's what they were worshiping. So you know what, too? Historically, when God's people forsake God, whether it's Israel whether it's Christians in our day or any in between, there have been periods, just like in Israel, where God's people, professing believers, walk away from God. Missing in action is a phrase that we have. And you know that's happening today, just as it was happening in Israel. I think of that idea of somebody missing 
And I immediately think of a man that I've not talked about in a few years, but when we went to Grenada uh, several times, um, there's a dear lady named Beulah who was a pastor's wife. I never met her husband, but uh, as you know, Carrie and Terry Sinus knew Stanley, Pastor Stanley Roberts, very well. I can still picture um, Carrie, both here and in Grenada, sharing the stories about Stanley Roberts. And he had such respect for this man. He would talk about this man's deep devotion. And as he would just share, he would, this man would go out on his boat. He was a fisherman by trade, other than a pastor, and so he learned, earned a living by fishing. And he would go out in the morning, just out with his Bible, and he would just read God's Word and meditate. And then he would tell, I think Carrie might have gone out with him one time, and Carrie would talk about, uh, and, and he talked about his preaching too. He said, it, it was kind of, it reminded me of Charles Spurgeon when he talked about um, uh, Bunyan, the, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress. He said, when you prick him, he bleeds Bible. <laughs> I love that. And the way Carrie talked about Charles uh, Stanley, Stanley Roberts was, was like that. This man, according to Carrie, had such a deep walk with God. I do know his wife, Beulah. What a precious lady. And years back, he went out fishing and he was never heard from again. And as many of you know, there's pirates and they believe that uh, he was probably kidnapped and used for forced labor, um, but he just disappeared. And so, you know, Stanley, Pastor Roberts, is missing in action for all the... I mean, he was he walked with God up until whatever happened. But you know, I'm I'm reminded that there's so many people today that are walking after things that are not. Again, um, they walk after vanity. They change. Or excuse me. Go back to the the verse that we're looking at here in verse eleven. Half a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods. By the way, as we've gone through this, I've said this a couple times. Can you see in the, the charges that God is saying that he takes this very, this is a personal insult. Again, I want to remind you because we're going to come to this phrase about uh, living waters and broken cisterns and I believe it goes back to the main charge here against Israel. Now remember, from the time they left Egypt to the time they, they parked on Mount Sinai and entered into the covenant of the Lord, God led them all the way. Now, it was a rough path. You know, I mean, they complained, as we know, and they murmured. But their complaints, their problems were always directed at God. They, you know, they were looking to Him. Yes, they were complaining. But God, in every instance, two times He provided water out of a rock. And He, he met their needs with manna. He did these supernatural things to provide for them. And so it was, you know, it was a rough relationship, but it was a relationship. They still looked to God and followed Him weekly, but they did. But when they entered into Canaan and they forsook God and went after the Canaanite gods, that's when it became personal for God. That was when he charged them with apostasy. And 
You, I just, I hope it, to me, this just oozes that God is so hurt here. He's so, he's so offended because of what all, what all he did and because of his investment in these people and his, his love for them. And now they forsake him. Now verse 12. He says, Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. He's not just calling to the heavens. And if you remember that uh, ancient charge against a rebellious uh, underling or a, a king, a higher king, if he was going to charge someone with rebellion, there was apparently a, a way that you did it, and there were certain characteristics that seem, seemed to be being played out here as God is laying His charges against Israel, uh, each one of them. And one of them is a call to heaven and earth to witness, and, and this idea is, is rendered here in the, in the verse that we're looking at. Again, be astonished, O ye heavens. But He's also challenging Israel people of Judah, be astonished. Be horribly afraid. Yea, be very desolate, saith the Lord. These are terms which have the idea of somebody shuddering with fear. And again, God is trying to get their attention. He wants them to realize how serious this is. And by the way, again, we go back to him picking Jeremiah. Why did he choose Jeremiah? There were other preachers and other prophets that he sent at different times in Israel who were able to deliver the message you know, with conviction, but not, not weeping, not tears. And, and Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet again because he was broken. And, and God was broken. God was, was so burdened for what was happening, so he sent him this man. And now he's now Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, is trying to get the people of Judah to be uh, weeping Jews, weeping Israelites. So the weeping prophet is trying to communicate this. Be desolate. You, you need to be devastated. Of course, as we're going to go on, they never got to that point. It's amazing when we, you think of how far as we work through these chapters and you see the message. It reminds me of how God is so patient today with people. In fact, I shared this recently with someone. I, I, I love Second Peter 3.9. Because when people want to charge God with injustice, how can God let all this stuff that's going on, how can He let it go on? I'm reminded of 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. And that's talking about judgment. That's talking about setting things right. Why doesn't He do it? Probably for you and me. Or for... I, I was sharing with someone, you know, if the Lord returned in 1980, some of you wouldn't be born, but I wouldn't be saved. I'd be forever lost. So God waited I'm so glad He did. God waited for you. If you're born again, think about that. He hasn't come back yet, which means there's some, still some more people that need to be saved. There's still some more people that need to hear the gospel. And so, you, you, as we go through this long book with a long message of Jeremiah preaching his heart out and weeping over the people of Israel to get them to repent, I want you to see the long-suffering of God. 
Because that's the God that we serve. And now we find the accusation. Look at verse 13. It says, My people have committed two evils. And here's the two evils. And again, he uses this figurative language. He says, They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. By the way, in the New Testament, Gospel of John, you remember the woman at the well. And then in John 11, you remember Jesus talking about coming to him, all that thirst, this idea that God can quench our deepest thirst. It's a, it's a great picture. And he uses it here. You have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Remember, that's the main charge. They had not forsaken him. They complained a lot. But they had not forsaken him through the wilderness wanderings. But when they entered into the promised land and they got, began, got enticed with the gods of the Canaanites and the, the false gods of the people around them, they went a-whoring after other gods. That's when it became personal. That's when they literally forsook the living waters. And then secondly, and these two go hand in hand, and they hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What's that mean? Think about this. Because they, they've forsaken God, who is the living water, and that's the big offense. And what is this then? They've, they've hewed out, they've dug out broken cistern. A cistern is a, uh, like a rock structure or a, uh, could be a pitcher. It's anything that holds water. And what they did was they, you know, they continued to pursue and put effort into the idea of attaining water, but the... They did, the, the, the cisterns were broken. They couldn't hold water. And folks, I believe, the more I look at this and follow the, the flow of Jeremiah, I'm convinced that God is saying, okay, you have forsaken me, the living waters, and now the place you're going to, these false gods, you know, you're attempting to get something from them that I gave you, and it's a war. It's, you're going to keep trying to fill it up, and you're not going to get any water from that. You can't. It's a broken system, a broken cistern. Because they're false gods, they don't exist. They're gods that are not. Wow, isn't that amazing? Think about that. These are people that, in a sense, they're still looking for satisfaction. They're still looking to have their thirst quenched. But they've turned away from the very source that can truly satisfy I want you to go take your Bibles now to John chapter 6. I I referred to this in our closing prayer last week because I didn't get to it. And this whole passage here screams to me of what happened in Jesus' day and what happens today. And I love the response of Peter. Now keep this in mind. You've got God providing and satisfying the thirst, the spiritual thirst of His people. And then you've got them going in the promised land and looking at how they're worshiping their false gods, these physical idols. And they're, you know, they have places where they pray where there's these idols and they're thinking, they're starting to think there's something to this where they'd walk away from the true God. It's just, it's just amazing. But today, there are people, folks, more and more, that are walking away from God. And 
seeking, in fact, as the hymn goes, seeking for things that do not satisfy. Remember, I thirsted in a barren land of sin and shame. What a beautiful picture that is. And how today people are still trying to quench their satisfaction. But what's sad is people that once either knew Jehovah, knew God, or knew of God. The true living God that could satisfy that you know, out of their body, out of their belly would flow rivers of living water. Talking about how God would satisfy our deepest needs. And they're they're going to fall, the false gods of the world. Let's look at John chapter six. We'll close with this. So Jesus is preaching, you know, a long chapter. We're already at verse sixty six here, and he said some hard things. He said some things which would end up being stumbling blocks. And the amazing thing, John chapter 6 and verse 66 says, From that time, many of his disciples... That's an interesting term. Because a disciple is a follower. These were people that followed Jesus. But at this point, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now remember last week's message, I think it was last week, Walking away from God. That's what the Jews did. And here, there were many people in Jesus' day with Him present. I mean, they, they, weren't list, they weren't having to listen to inferior human beings like your pastor and other preachers across the country. They got to sit under the ministry of Jesus Christ Himself. Boy, if that's not encouraging. If Jesus could lose disciples... Is there any hope for any of us? Well, think about it. Here's Jesus Christ preaching. And these people, they went back. They quit on Jesus and they walked no more with Him. I can sense, I know, the feeling of, you know, Jesus is here. The disciples are noticing that everybody's leaving. And it's such, to me, it's such a sad you know, it, it, humanly depressing scenario. And I, I can't imagine Jesus saying this statement in anything but, I mean, it's just a sad thing. And, and I can't imagine him saying it happily. Will you also go away? Hey, you guys going to go away too? No, this is a sad thing. This is a grievous thing to our Savior, is that people are forsaking him. And he looks at his disciples, the ones that are still there. And he says, will you also go away? But what a sad statement. And I love Peter's reply. Peter's reply, folks, is, is everything. It's what Jeremiah is trying to get across. Then, Peter, then Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? We know what Israel is saying. Lord, we're not going to go to you. We're going to go to the. We're going to go to Baal. We're going to go to the Canaanite gods. We're going to go to the Assyrian gods. We're going to go to the Babylonian gods. Later on, they would say that. Uh, we're going to go to the Egyptian gods. They're going somewhere else. Peter's attitude and jo- Jeremiah's attitude is, where else can you go? And, and Peter says, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You are the living water. So when Jeremiah charged the people of Judah with 
forsaking the living waters. Really, God charged them and accused them. You have forsaken me. You've forsaken uh, the living waters. You've, you've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And then for that, you've exchanged it. You've gone out and you've hewed out these things. You're never going to be able to get any water in what you've chosen. I'm reminded of Ecclesiastes, and I think there's such a correlation today. And I think there's something to our generation where many that grew up in the church, not just our church, but all across America, what's happening, what we've experienced is happening all across America as America becomes more and more secularized. And you see people who are looking to the world to satisfy their thirsts. Now, you and I already know. Remember Ecclesiastes? Remember Solomon? You know, he tried everything under the sun. And he had the means. He had the power. He had the influence. He had everything at his fingertips that he could have wanted. And as he experienced and tried all the different things, pleasure, wine, woman, you, you name it. And he said, each one of them, he said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now the Jews, you and I know, the Jews didn't get any satisfaction in Baal or any of the gods of the Canaanites that they went after. Uh, you know, they, they were looking for it. The idea of carved out, they had, they were still making some kind of cisterns or some kind of container to hold water. And again, this is a figure of speech here. But, so what they were doing was trying to seek what they had in the living waters of God. But, because they were going to broken cisterns, they were going to false gods that were no gods, could they ever get any water from that? It, it could hold no water. That's the false religions. That's the false gods. And today, there are so many precious people that are looking to everything in this world to satisfy. And you know, in many ways, we, uh, we have the trap of Solomon, especially in America. We are well off. America is the envy of the world as far as... Um, and I still marvel. Every time I go to a grocery store, uh, I think of Liberia, and I think of Guatemala, I think of Grenada, and, and multitudes of places I've never been where every, you just go to any grocery store and they're all over the place. And... and I still have this feeling, though it's wearing off, I think I need to get to one of these other places again, I still get this feeling that, wow, we are, we are spoiled rotten. We are spoiled rotten. And because of that, and now we've got technology, we've got all these forms of entertainment and distractions. We have so many things. Like Solomon had all these things at his fingertip that not the normal person could, could not pursue. And he pursued them to their fullest. And they left him empty. And so today, so many people are pursuing that same route. Just like Judah, they're looking for things that cannot satisfy. Folks, they're, they're, they've carved out broken cisterns. And so you and I need to pray because you and I are drinking at the fountain of living water. And we need to live like that. Sometimes we... Um, you know, we become like the people of Israel during that, the wilderness. Oh, I'm going to die. I remember Egypt, you know. And God's saying, okay, here you go. 
You know, Moses speak to the rock. You remember the water coming out? That's awesome. But God meets our needs. And God is, he is a very present help in time of trouble. He allows, I mentioned this phrase in praying for someone this earlier, is that God allows the problems of living to mold us to the image of Christ and to draw us to himself so that we will drink regularly at the well of his grace. And when you and I stop going to the well of his grace, we begin to pursue other things, we're going to have broken cisterns. So folks, let's drink from the well that never shall run dry. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for this lesson. Father, thank you for the heart of, of Jeremiah. It must have been so overwhelming. Lord, I can't wait someday to meet this man and uh, just to hear the stories uh, as a fellow human being called to minister to people. And uh, Father, I cannot imagine what Jeremiah went through as he continually preached his heart out to people that wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, But he did not try to stop being heard from those that were committed to misunderstanding him. Uh, Lord, he did it because you commanded him to and because you loved your people so much. And uh, only after many years of exhortation did you finally judge your people. And Father, I pray, I know there's so many people today that are seeking the world for satisfaction, the pleasures of the world, whether it be wealth, materialism, pleasure, partying, entertainment, just all the things, Father, that they're looking for satisfaction in these things and they have forsaken You. Lord, I pray that You would turn the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, turn their hearts to You Show them that you are the source of living waters. That you will quench our spiritual thirst in a way that nothing that this world offers could ever have. And then, Father, not only do we get to drink from that well today while we're here in this earth, but we get to look forward to an eternity uh, drinking from an unpolluted well, drinking and experiencing the good God that we have without the curse, I cannot imagine. Father, it will be glorious. But oh, my heart aches for those that have forsaken you. I pray you would turn, turn your people and turn many to you for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.